This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Six. Welcome to another episode of the 643 Podcast with yours truly, Dylan Short, brought to you by 680 The Fan and the Dickey Broadcasting Corporation. The Braves dropped another game to lowly Washington, bringing their series record to three and four this year. And while it is certainly too soon to pull any fire alarms, uh, it, it I'd like to see a little bit more consistency. The offense has kind of started very, very slow. We'll get into that. We'll also talk about um, Bryce Elder's season debut in our prospect segment of the week, since it is Thursday. And since he's kind of already on the big league roster, we'll probably just roll that into uh, a normal segment. But before we get to talk about the fun stuff with Bryce Elder, we're also going to talk a little bit about some of the, the players around the league really standing out, some of these young guys who are standing out right now, including one that we all should remember pretty fondly. Um, this offense so far this year, they have, there have been a couple of games where, where they've really put it all together. The 16-4 to win uh, was, was pretty nice to see. They scored seven runs in one of the games versus the Reds. Outside of that, this Braves offense really has started very slowly. And it's kind of a continuation of what happened last season as well, where maybe maybe a lot of the guys of the team are kind of slow starters. I don't know. Matt Olson has had no problems so far. He's, he's started off very quick. Uh, he's been hitting the ball hard all over the place. Seems like all he does is hit rockets. Uh, there's been a few players in the Braves who are hitting the ball hard and just don't have a lot to show for it. Another one of those is Alex Dickerson, who's actually done a very good job with his contact. He's hit the ball really, really hard and just hasn't had anything to show for it. And that seems to be kind of a theme for the team as a whole. Now, the 16-4 to game is a little bit of an aberration what I'm gonna talk, what I'm about to talk about. But overall, the Braves have put a charge into a ton of baseballs that just haven't managed to get out of the ballpark. And... At, at this point, I guess it's still kind of early to say definitively, but the only thing that really has changed from the type of contact that they've made this year and last year has been the distance on the balls. And one of the things that has happened, uh, aside from Major League Baseball changing the baseball for the fourth consecutive year, which is just stupid and ridiculous, they've also installed humidors in all the parks. And I think when you're seeing the types of shots that these guys are putting on the baseball and how hard they're hitting it and just not getting the results – you are left kind of looking, asking if the humidors are the cause of this. And if that's so, how long do they stay? Because it's not just an Atlanta Braves thing. There's a few teams that are hitting more home runs. But when you get into humidors and you really kind of devolve into the actual concept of the humidor, we talked about it on Tuesday. Uh, places that are, are 
high, high humidity, the humidor is going to average out the, humid the humidity of the baseball, and it's actually going to result in further flight. But for most, most places in the league, it's going to suppress home runs. And, and according to a 2018 article by Beyond the Box Score, um, it, it kind of suppresses home runs at about a 20% clip. And if you look so far in the early goings of the season, home runs are down about 21%. Now, for some people... This is a really good thing for for some fans. They're kind, they've been kind of tired of of home runs being hit all over the place. But I am a fan of a team that is going that coming into the season we knew would rely on the long ball a lot. That built their lineup to be a power hitting lineup. And quite frankly, I like seeing home runs. They're fun to see. I like seeing teams hit lots of home runs. I prefer to see you hitting a home run than hitting a single. I know there's some people that still love small ball. Um, that is the vast minority of baseball fans now. So yeah, I'd kind of like to see more home runs. I do wonder how long they're going to stick with the humidor or how long before they mysteriously change the baseball again to kind of bring some offense back into it. I think when they were trying to suppress offense a little bit, I don't think they were looking to suppress it by as much as they are to where you're, you're seeing cameramen get fooled. Giancarlo Stanton hit a ball the other day that was uh, absolutely tattooed that same pitch, same, same exit velocity, same location in the field that if he'd hit this last season, uh, it, it probably would have been closer to 420-430. Instead, it was caught really not even at the wall. It was caught on the warning track. We've seen that happen with plenty of Braves. I've seen Matt Olson hit a couple that I thought were, were dead goners. I've seen Alex Dickerson hit at least two that should have been out, and then the humidor just kind of makes the ball a little bit heavier and, and, and doesn't fly as far. Uh, so that's taking a little bit of getting used to. So that does bring kind of an interesting roundabout to this season. If you're not, if they keep the humidors and they keep everything the way they have it right now all season, what are your home run numbers going to look like? Are we going to see some of these guys who were 30 homer guys now be closer to 20 home run guys? We're going to have to start viewing them uh, kind of in the same lens that we were in the 90s, where um, 20 home runs in a season was considered you know, average power, uh, or a little bit above average power, let's say. Uh, 20 to 25 was considered good power for, say, a second baseman uh, or a shortstop, was really good for a shortstop in the 90s, uh, and even some of these, like, center fielders and things like that. Or are we going to see hitters adjust and, and kind of make a change here and find some ways to, to kind of maybe pull down the lines a little bit more? Anytime you start talking about things like this, the nature of baseball at this point is to make the most out of your hits. And if you're not going to be able to string together five, six, seven hits in an inning, uh, or sometimes even in a game, then you have to make those hits count. And one of the ways to do that would be if you're trying to hit the ball out and the ball's not flying as far as it was in previous years, one of the ways for hitters to get around that has become even more pull happy because it is much easier to hit it out down the lines than it is to hit it out dead center. So for a lot of these guys, I don't know, if, if the ball continues to kind of fly this way, you might see a few more hitters selling out for pull side power and trying to yank down the lines a little bit more, which is not, I, I don't think that's the intended thing for baseball. I don't think that that works out well. I think people like seeing homers to dead center. I think, I think it's a better product when hitters are able to use the whole field. And that's kind of the idea behind uh, banning the shift, or, or at least the current version of the shift going into next season, where you have to have two players on either, two infielders on either side of second base. You can't have four outfielders or, or something like that. The idea is to open up the middle of the field to take away these overshifts uh, so that hitters, you know, aren't, aren't so, uh, 
they, they aren't so pigeonholed into where they have to hit the ball to hit it hard, and they have kind of a pathway to success. And you can say, well, they're just trying to increase offense, and they are because as much as one nothing games can be exciting, they're exciting because they're rare. They're exciting because it's not something you see in every game with every pitcher. It, 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 it's exciting when it means something, when you see that it's a really good pitcher holding down a really good offense, not when it's, you know, like, like how people were kind of getting done with the all the rash of no-hitters last year, which was the real impetus behind the crackdown on foreign substances on the baseball. Because people were starting to feel like no-hitters were uh, kind of being marginalized a little bit and, and were no longer as important as they were in years past. They no longer held the same meaning. So baseball didn't waste a lot of time and be like, okay, well, we're going to have to save the no-hitter here. So we're going to make it harder for pitchers to get no-hitters, which means the ones that do will be more special and yada, yada, yada. I think you're going to see something like that with offense too. Uh, I think that was the th- original thought behind installing the humidors and to kind of trying to um, suppress the home run rates a little bit was to try to force hitters to not swing for the fences so often to put more balls in play to get away from three true outcomes, which for, for a lot of fans, that's a nice experience. Yeah, I don't really like seeing, you know, uh, multiple games in a row with three hits where two of the three are home runs and you finish and you you just have a bunch of walks and homers. I do like seeing doubles and triples and stolen bases and all that stuff. I like seeing it. Um, but baseball, to, to be where baseball wants to be, if, if actual people in, in control of baseball could get out of their own way, in order to stay popular and, and to increase their popularity and to, to grow on the younger fan base, you need to be exciting, which means, you know, you need offense. Same thing in football. They never make rules to make it easier for defenders, to make it easier for, for, offensive team, for teams to score offensively. And that's kind of what you're looking for in baseball as well. You're just trying to find that gap to bridge to make it an exciting game without kind of making it too difficult on defenses to where games are lasting four hours and every team is scoring eight runs an outing and and things like that. You want to at least give some semblance that what they're doing is special offensively. And while it is, it's kind of hard to tell uh, when with, with baseball sometimes like Guillermo Heredia made a throw from the wall against Washington the other night, which it just looks like a standard throw, but he's at the wall threw it on a line to second, uh, I can't remember if it was one hopped or if it made it on the on the fly. I th- it might have been one hopped, but uh, dead on the money at second base with his back to the bag. Quick turn, picked it up and fired it in, and it didn't get the runner at second in it or anything. So it's not a highlight reel throw, and you see a lot of center fielders make that throw, but it's an incredibly difficult thing to do. It just looks easy because these guys are all so talented. Like if you if, or the normal person had tried to go out there and make that same throw, even if they made it, they would be they'd be celebrating a little bit because it's an it's an extremely difficult thing to do, and it just looks easy. And a lot of baseball looks like that. There's a lot of things that players do routinely, game in and game out, that look simple that are, are really actually incredible feats. Just having guys throw 95 miles an hour over and over and over again, it seems easy because everyone can do it. It wasn't that long ago that the league average for fastball was around 92, 93, and that you each bullpen had maybe one or two guys that could run it up into the high 90s. Now that's a staple of pretty much every bullpen arm. It, that's a staple of most rotation guys now. 95 is pretty standard. So 
you get kind of lost in the shuffle sometimes with Major League Baseball because the players are just so talented. It all looks easy. So you can get kind of bored. You aren't seeing, you aren't able to really tell how ridiculous some of the stuff that they're doing actually is. And that kind of puts baseball into a bad spot. They have to try to find ways to manufacture a little bit of excitement here or there. And then it leads to them kind of kind of bleeding their product a little bit, kind of having to, to take away from another area that would be more exciting. And I don't know a great fix for that, honestly. Uh, it, 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 I guess if more people kind of realized how ridiculous that is and kind of appreciated how insanely talented these big leaguers are, then, then maybe. But that's not something you can expect somebody who's trying to pick up baseball for the first time and get themselves involved in baseball the first time. You can't expect them to, to just understand that out of the blue. If you didn't really grow up playing, you aren't going to know how crazy a lot of that is. And if you didn't play for any real length of time, you still, you really won't understand how insane those routine types of throws are. It's, it's, it's a mark of how talented these players are, but it's also a mark of the things that baseball has to struggle with that some of the other major sports just don't. And it can kind of blur the lines a little bit and make people think that baseball is slower than it is uh, or, or that maybe it's not quite as, as overwhelmingly athletic or as athletically gifted as some of these other sports. And it most certainly is. It's not, you know, you could take, you could take Mike Trout and you could put him on a football field. And his natural athleticism, I would guarantee you, would, would allow him to be very good. Um, I don't know how good his hands are. I know he catches well in the outfield. I don't know how his hands are as far as catching a football. But you could find him a spot on a football field. Um, Amir Garrett was a college basketball player as well. So he's, I don't, I don't know that he's good enough to be a good NBA player basketball wise. And at six, seven, he's kind of more kind of standard size than, than big or anything like that. But you can't take those same people and throw them onto a baseball field and have any real measure of success. There's very few guys that can succeed in baseball that succeed in, in baseball and football and basketball and things like that. It's one of the things that made Deion Sanders so incredible uh, was that he was able to be a legitimate professional talent in baseball while being a Hall of Fame talent football-wise. Brian Jordan, same thing. Brian Jordan was almost the same level of baseball player that he was as a football player. And we definitely don't give him enough credit for being about equally as talented at, at, at both games. Kyler Murray, he got drafted in the first round of, of, of the major league draft and got drafted number one overall as a quarterback. He knew what his future was. You know, you get paid faster as a quarterback. You do make way more money in baseball and you have a much longer career, but it's a lot harder to get to professional baseball, to get to the major leagues than it is to play in the NFL. And, and I'm sorry to put it that way for guys that are football fans, but it's just true. It's harder to be an MLB player and be a successful major league player and make any real money than it is to be a successful football player. Football is a more physical game, but it's an easier game. And I, there's probably some people that are going to disagree, but it's just kind of how it is. I, I guarantee you there's more players in, in MLB right now that could have success on a football field than there are football players that could have success hitting a major league curveball. It's just kind of how it goes. Um, now, I, I'd hold that doubly true for basketball. Because uh, basketball, you can't tell me basketball is more physical than baseball. It's just not. Um, maybe it used to be back in the day. It certainly isn't now. Um, and those are those are both sports where individual contributions can matter a whole lot more than in baseball, where you really do have to have this collected that goes about it. So I don't know all that to say. I don't know how baseball solves this problem. I'm really not going to be surprised if uh, all of a sudden we start seeing baseball start flying out again at better rates. Uh, and, and there's kind of this wink, wink, nod, nod to what's going on. And players might come out and say that the ball has changed with 
without Major League Baseball officially confirming it. But that's kind of one of the things that baseball needs to stop doing. They need to stop messing with the baseball. Uh, if they're going to keep messing with it season in and season out, we're always going to get these wild swings of, of just back and forth. Sometimes offense is good. Sometimes pitching is good. You're not going to have anything really solidified. The players are, are going to constantly be adjusting to outside variables. And while... This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business. And it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Is there chaos in your closet? Look, Blouse, you've got some nerve hanging there like that. I can't help it. I'm jammed in here next to this suit. Hey, I'm a three-piece, all right, which means I need a little more room. You've got a lot of attitude for a linen suit. I'm a polyester blend, sweetheart, and there needs to be room for men's clothes, too. Hi, I'm Christina, and in Artisan Custom Closets, we help families organize and simplify their closets with customized storage solutions. See what's possible for your home at artisancustomclosets.com, and then call us for a free in-home consultation. That that's not an awful idea if it's kind of announced that way. That could be something that you could make it almost a staple, is something that that you kind of have to do at the big leagues. It could be something. Um, it could also be something that for people that that really want strategy as a part of baseball, that's something that that kind of could enhance the strategy aspect because you don't really know. You wouldn't know year in and year out how each baseball is going to play, which would mean you wouldn't know. The, opti- the optimal way to build your ball club year to year. You'd have, I would think you probably have a few, a little bit more variance. Teams that are overly home run reliant, uh, if you get seasons like this where the ball doesn't particularly fly as well, maybe won't be as good as teams that are more contact oriented and more base hit oriented. Um, and are able, like, like Cleveland is a good example. The Guardians are not a team that really should be hitting for a ton of power. They've been scoring a ton of runs this season because they have guys that make a lot of contact. Guys like Stephen Kwan and Owen Miller, who we're going to talk about here in just a second. But the way that they're built is very conducive to the way that the ball right now is playing. Uh, certain pitchers, guys, it's almost like if you're a team that, if you're in a stadium that was giving up a lot of home runs a year ago, but you're in a not a very humid climate, now that you have the humidors installed, Sinkerball pitchers might start making a comeback. Sinkerball pitchers were kind of getting run out of the league a little bit because the nature of pitching has changed to velocity up in the zone and breaking balls down in the zone. While sinkerball pitcher is naturally going to be down in the zone as often as possible. A lot of hitters now actually prefer the ball down in the zone because they feel they can get the barrel to it a lot easier. So if the ball's not going to be flying quite as, as far, then for sinkerballers, it's not going to be quite as much of a death sentence if you're giving up Fly balls here and there. Guys like Julio Tehran, for example. Uh, guys that have lower spin fastballs, for example. Uh, where the adage in the 90s was low and away on your fastball. And that it was hard to square up. It was hard to hit that ball out. Well, now you might see that start making a comeback. Now it's going to start making pitchers rely. Instead of having to rely overly on just throwing the ball 100 miles an hour. Spotted up in the top of the quadrant. Which some guys are still going to do that. Because that's what you've gotten used to doing. That's just your style. You're going to see a, a rise of players who can go the other way with it. And kind of... Maybe not. Maybe can dial it down to 92, 93 and can spot in locations where you can't get full barrel and you don't have to worry about the guy just muscling the ball out. And there's still some hitters that are going to do that, but 
it's one of those things that you're going to have to constantly monitor. And it seems like for the last four years in a row now, there's some outside variable that baseball teams have had to really look at and really consider. Now, I went a little bit long on that, but I do want to talk about some non-Braves guys. Obviously, I'm a Braves podcast here. That's all you guys are really tuning in for is Braves talk, but it's my show, and I want to talk about some young guys who are performing really well. I've talked about it before, about the, the just insanity that is the rookie of the year race, particularly the AL, and I was talking about guys like Julio Rodriguez, talking about Matt Brash, uh, Bobby Witt Jr., Wander Franco, I think, is still technically considered a rookie. There's a lot of those guys. Um But right now, you're seeing two guys from Cleveland, and I just told you their names, Stephen Kwan and Owen Miller, who are concertedly different types of players from your Julio Rodriguez types. Stephen Kwan is a guy that does not miss the baseball. He makes contact all the time. As a matter of fact, that opening series against the Royals, he had more hits than swings and misses. I mean, it's it's absurd. He's been doing this his whole minor league career. He doesn't have big power, but he's such a good hitter that he hits more out than his power would dictate. And this is almost anathema to people that have been watching his crazy start so far. He's, he's a lot like a Brett Gardner type of player. Now, I don't want to tell somebody like, oh, yeah, man, you're going to be Brett Gardner. Because we have this idea of guys like Brett Gardner who are kind of journeyman players uh, who, who play for a long time but, but aren't like ever the main hitters on a squad or, or, or the best offensive players. So you tell a guy like Stephen Kwan or you, say, you look at a guy like Stephen Kwan who's hitting otherworldly right now who's already almost been worth a full F war and be like, Oh yeah, no, you're Brett Gardner. And it's almost like you're kind of saying that he doesn't have a lot of upside. Well, when you see a guy like Steven Kwan, there's always an upside in guys like that. And there's people that'll say, well, analytics says that contact doesn't really matter anymore. That's true, but it's true in the margins. It's true in the middle. It's not true for the extremes. There's always a place for, for people who are outliers in either direction. And a guy like Stephen Kwan is absolutely an outlier. A guy like Owen Miller, who's been playing first base for them now, he's played some second base for them as well. He kind of floats around a little bit because he's not a great defender, but he's an excellent bat-to-ball guy. He hits a lot of doubles. He makes really good contact, but just doesn't have overwhelming power. Well, those two guys right now have been not just rookies in baseball, but two of the best players in baseball total. And you can say, I don't know if they, you can definitively say that the humidor is a factor and that the, the approach is a factor, but their style of play is conducive to what they're doing right now and what you're seeing on the ball field. And that's really cool. There's a lot of these young guys. Christian Pache is the guy I really wanted to talk about. A lot of Braves fans still very fond of Christian Pache, and you should be. I am, I am fully on board the Christian Pache train. I have been for years now, and I always will be. And I love that Oakland is getting behind it. Now, you can say Oakland kind of traded off all their players, so yeah, they have to get behind Christian, and that's true. That's certainly true. But they seem to have fully embraced Christian Pache, uh, and I think it, it certainly helps that Braves fans are some of the most vocal on social media and that Braves fans are constantly amplifying the things that Christian does well whenever you see highlights posted by Oakland. But it seems like Oakland and Oakland's fan base in particular has completely embraced Christian, and I love seeing that. I love seeing young guys who are genuinely great guys who you can tell just have that kind of childish wonder for the game that just love playing baseball and are just genuinely having fun all the time. I love seeing those people get recognized. And for Christian, not only is he still an outstanding talent, which he is. I know he struggled in his time at the big leagues here. That doesn't take away from what he is as a player. He's a he, he's He's going to be, in short order, he's going to be 
if not the best center fielder in baseball, going to be a top two or three. He's Buxton levels of defense, and he's taking some weird routes to balls now. You kind of see that happen with good defenders from time to time. They have to kind of learn the fields that they're on, and once they learn the fields, then it all of a sudden becomes pretty easy for them. Um, that That's a no-brainer with Christian. He's got a crazy arm. He's really fast. He's really strong. He's big. Um, things like that, but the, the bat was most certainly behind, and Early on in the season, it's still very, very early, and he hasn't actually taken a walk yet, so his OBP and his average are the exact same. He's hitting 300, though, and today he got himself a Little League home run. I love watching Christian Pache. I love following along with what he's doing because that's the type of person that he is. I, I just genuinely love seeing that, and I love seeing him succeed, and I want him to be a superstar, and even if he does, it doesn't change that I think that it was still the right trade for Atlanta to go and get Matt Olson. I think that that was still... No matter what happens with Pache, I still think the Braves made a smart trade and made the right trade. Um, but I, I, he's one of these guys that I'm going to follow forever. And I love when major league teams do this and they, they embrace their, their rookies and their young players and they embrace these guys taking on the franchise player type of mantle. Um, Seattle has been really, really good at this with a lot of their young guys. Julio Rodriguez, Jared Kelnick there, uh, Logan Gilbert. George Kirby, when he comes up, is probably going to be in that same mold. But they're really good at, at taking a lot of focus and putting it on these young guys and amplifying them to try to to try to grab some of these younger guys, give the kids a chance to see a guy as he's coming up and build that kind of lifelong fandom. Like a lot of y'all who are the same age as I am, 31, who, who grew up that way with Chipper. When Chipper came up and he was young in his career and you were young and you build a lasting lifetime of fandom for this player who you watch grow up along with you. So it's, it's that's one of those things that I want to see baseball do more of. Embrace the Wander Francos. Embrace the, the uber talents, sure. But embrace the other guys. Brett Phillips is a perfect example of this. Brett Phillips is not an especially good professional baseball player, at least major league baseball player for the race. But he's such a fantastic person that he is better for the game of baseball. He is an amazing person. Yeah, he's a little bit older for what I'm talking about here. But there's nothing that says that the faces of your game have to be the just best players total. It's okay to have guys that are good enough to be professional but are maybe more journeyman type of players who are just genuinely great people. And actually, I think that's better for the game. I think that that there's a lot more of those players than there are of just overwhelming, talented players who are also great people and also willing to be faces. I think there's a lot more of these kind of mid-tier players who, if they were you know, able to kind of give that platform a little bit more and be given that platform a little bit more, you'd see them as much better faces for baseball and would be, and would be great for the game as a whole. I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more of it. So I'm happy with where I'm seeing from that early on. Um, but this is a Braves show. So we do need, because it is Thursday, we got to talk about a Braves prospect. And I'm going to use Bryce Elder. Now, Bryce Elder got his debut start, which actually he pitched very well. Um, through, I want to say it was 80 or 85 pitches, went five and two thirds, looked really good, kind of struck, lost it a little bit in the sixth there, just some fatigue kind of, kind of finally set in. He gave up back-to-back homers and then a ground rule double and got chased. Um, but he did go five and two thirds, gave up six hits, three of them in his final, uh, in that sixth inning there, three earned runs, uh, two homers. That was the back-to-backs. One of those was a Juan Soto Mamo shot. Another was a Josh Bell homer. Had four strikeouts. Now, I've said before that Elder is not the type of guy, and I said it on Tuesday, uh, that he's not the guy that's going to be 
be hammering 10 K's a start, but he's a guy that's going to be very aggressive in the zone. And, um, he'll throw, he'll throw balls here and there. He'll walk you here and there. All of his stuff breaks down. So if he loses the handle a little bit, he can kind of go on little runs where the command kind of goes away for a little bit. But for the most part, he's going to throw a lot of strikes and get a ton of ground balls. And you saw that. I believe last year had a 55% ground ball rate, almost 60%. I mean, he, he, he generates ground balls. All of his stuff is playable. It's all average to slightly above average. There's nothing that's below average in his arsenal. And he just knows what he's doing. And he pitched well. And I think I think the Braves are going to probably roll out the, the sixth starter again. Um, and I think he's earned a shot. Now, the next shot is going to be significantly tougher because it would be Monday in uh, L.A. So they give him the shot on that. That's a, that's a tough draw for him. But if he's able to go out there and, and be at least as successful as he was against Washington or, or at least look similarly, then there's nothing to say he can't go and grab one of these spots himself, especially if Waskar continues to struggle. And that's something I said. Now, I've told you before, I'm a Waskar Noah guy. I think Waskar is a starter. I think the talk of him going to the bullpen is just reactionary and, and it's just blatantly disregarding what you saw from him last year. I talked about it on Tuesday where you get a narrative about somebody and you never let that narrative go because it was your first narrative. I think that that's, that's something that people struggle with with Waskar Anoa. They, they think they know what he is because of how he was utilized in the minors and before last season in particular. And I think that's just foolish. I think that that's, that's short-sighted. And I think, frankly, it just kind of shows that you aren't willing to budge. You're not willing to, to move off of what you initially thought of somebody, which means 90% of the time you're probably not to be trusted as far as your evaluations of players go now again it's certainly it's certainly true that I'm a Waskar Noah stand so there there's quite a bit of bias on my side as well so and it's certainly possible that Waskar uh, maybe just had a great run last year and what you saw last year was peak Waskar and not what to normally expect from him and that he ends up in the bullpen ultimately it's certainly possible I just think it'd be s- stupid quite frankly to to say that right now when all you've seen from him as a major leaguer is better numbers than, or at least better walk rates than Ian Anderson and Charlie Morton, better Sierra than nearly anybody on the staff, and for a month until he broke his hand was the best pitcher on the team. I think I think you'd be foolish to just say, oh, well, we got to throw him in the bullpen now. I think it'd be short-sighted. I think, I think you'd look back on that and think that you were foolish for not seeing how far it could go. But if he struggles, Bryce is a guy that the team should always have confidence in that game to game he'll be very consistent. Now, there's some teams that are just going to hit him harder because he does live around the zone. He doesn't have anything that's wipeout. But you can feel confident throwing him out there knowing that he'll give you some length. He'll go five, six, seven innings. Um, And I think six and seven is probably the norm for him as a whole. I actually think five and two-thirds, you can chalk a little bit up to that, to the nervousness of his first start. Um, Having having his ball strike ratio be off by that much, and even then, is, is still a little bit different from what you'd expect to see from him as a full product. Um, but he's a guy that's going to go out there and challenge you. He's going to throw strikes and he's going to generate a lot of weak contact and a lot of ground balls. And that's when you're talking about somebody as a fifth starter, that works. That works really well. Um, I, I, I think you can see him really get some more run there. And I think there's a real possibility. Now, if he goes out there and he does the same thing against the Dodgers and the Braves are able to beat the Dodgers and he has himself a good start, I think it's, I think it's a very decent possibility that he remains in the rotation and then you figure out what to do with Waskar and Strider after that. Because there's still a real possibility that Strider ends up being in the rotation at some point this year. Uh, I think once the rosters drop back down, that's going to tell you a lot about what the Braves front office is thinking about these guys. Uh, I think right now I still would probably expect Elder to be the one to go back down. 
Um, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if it was Strider or if it was Waskar. I don't think they plan on it being Waskar. If Waskar goes out and his next start looks more like normal Waskar again and his, his slider is breaking and he's not hanging it in the zone, then I think that this conversation is moot and they'll roll with Waskar because they know what he can do when he's on. Um, but I'm all for Bryce Elder making it a much tougher conversation. And for the Braves, it's just another arm that's gotten itself in this cadre of guys who are right there on the cusp of being able to pitch in the majors. Tuki Toussaint, who I promise we'll talk about on, on another Thursday episode, ha- has looked phenomenal so far. Kyle Muller's looked good so far. Uh, Freddie Tarnock, he struggled a little bit with command at times, but Freddie Tarnock is a guy to not sleep on. There's a lot of these arms. Uh, Tucker Davidson, I know he got beat around in his outing as well in that, that Nationals game, that 11-2 game. But he's a guy the Braves have a lot of confidence in. There are Alan, Rang- Alan Rangel. There's, that's another guy who you might not know of, but who the Braves like a lot. Hayden Deal is another guy who strikes out a lot of guys. There are a lot of arms who are up onto the cusp of being ready for their first taste of the big leagues. And if you're, if you're the Braves' front office, it's a double-edged sword, but it's more good than bad. The good news is these guys all have to sharpen each other. Iron sharpens iron here, and, and there's, there's no... There's no, hey, I've got free reign to struggle for a bit. There's you got to be on your P's and Q's because there's somebody behind you who's also ready for his shot, and he might not struggle. He might be able to take it. And if you're the Braves, that's a phenomenal spot to be in. It's great for if you're trying to fill holes any, elsewhere in, in the, on the team, which could certainly be taking a look at that as well. Um, but overall, the Braves are in a great spot. I'm not, that's why I'm not overly worried. Uh, I think the Braves might just be kind of a slow starting team and you're seeing Brian Snicker rotate catchers every single game, which kind of leads me to believe they're being very cautious with the short and spring training as well. Uh, If we get into the middle of May and we're still kind of struggling at this rate, I'll be pulling the panic alarm. But for right now, Braves fans hold off just a little bit, kind of just, just don't, don't freak out at the moment. Some of it's bad luck. Some of it's bad hitting. Some of it's bad pitching, but it's still too early to pull that fire alarm. It's too talented of a team to continue to struggle that long. Um, look to get right on this road trip. They'll be in San Diego, so you're getting some later starts, but I think tonight's is right around, uh, I want to say it's an 8-10 first pitch tonight for the Braves, which means that most of us will be able to actually see most of it. Yeah, 8-10 first pitch uh, as the Braves, who are 3-4, and four, take on San Diego, who's 4-3. and three. It'll be Charlie Morton going against uh, Joe Musgrove tonight, so should be should be a good outing for the Braves. Anytime Morton's on the bump, you feel great. Um, should be looking forward to seeing that and seeing if, seeing if maybe the humidor theory is correct, because Previously, in years past, San Diego has been hard to hit home runs out of. The humidor installed over there should actually make it easier. So we'll see how the Braves' offense looks on this West Coast trip. I'm going to be crossing my fingers, hoping for some good signs and some awakenings from this ball club and see the Braves get on a run. You'd like to see them come back home with at least splitting the road trip, if not winning it. You you lost the, the first little homestand. You, you went one game under 500. So I'd like to see them get back to at least even on this road trip. But I, I'd like to see them really take advantage of, of some of these teams early. And we'll see and, and have the Braves kind of stake a claim and show that, hey, we're the Nationals. We're the defending world champions. Um, and then we're getting Ronald Acuna back in May. So I'd like to see them have a, 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 some good momentum as they bring him back. So... Let's start out well by going and taking out the San Diego Dads tonight who have uh, some of the ugliest uniforms in baseball. But overall, let's go out there and have some fun and, and win some games. Let's see some offense come through, and hopefully the pitching can kind of get right on this road trip. Not uh, not, not the teams you want to struggle with pitching-wise. So it's going to be a good challenge to the pitching staff. It's going to be a good challenge to the hitters. They're going to face some good pitchers on this, and we'll, we'll reconvene on Tuesday. We'll reconvene on Saturday morning, by the way, 680 to the fan. 
Uh, it's just an hour-long episode as there'll be G-Day coverage from uh, going from 10 to 11. So it's just going to be from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock. Make sure you're tuned in. We'll talk about the Braves and how they're looking uh, after the first two games in San Diego. Thank you guys for tuning in to today's episode. We'll be back here on the podcast on Tuesday, right here on the 643 Podcast. That's all, folks. A lifetime of hard work. Children laughing in the kitchen. Family photos on a restaurant wall. A legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation. Like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Hi, I'm Mark Beckham with Atlanta Ramjack. We specialize in only foundation repair. What is foundation repair? Foundations sink or settle. These issues need to be addressed. It only becomes more costly the longer you put it off. What is the biggest cause of foundation problem? Either poor construction, inferior site preparation, or weather. Drought causes cracks in your foundations. If you see any signs of foundation issues, please contact us at atlantaramjack.com.